All right. Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to the Clear Cash podcast. This is Julian, and as always, I'm here with uh, with Nick. Yeah, baby. I yeah, said that. Baby, I up? said that with some trepidation in my voice because I'm, I, I never know which Nick I'm gonna get. You're getting jolly old Nick today. <laughs> jolly same Nick. Come to give you some presents of of joy and, oh, and positive it's my feeling. Favorite version. It's like no, it only comes once a year. Seriously, and it's Christmas come early because uh, it's the middle of spring, and yet we have jolly old Saint Nick here. Santa come lately, Christmas come early, baby. Classic saying. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, good, good, good. Um, t- tonight, uh, I, I, I've been watching a lot of hockey lately. It's That's good. the middle of the, well, it's actually kind of near the tail end of the Stanley Cup playoffs in the NHL. So I've been watching hockey like every night, pretty much, back-to-back games. That's tight. Yeah. Have you you've never really watched any organized sports, have you? Or cared? I watched, I watched baseball when I played baseball. Oh, uh, yeah. Really, I got into watching MMA uh, a couple, like, like two years ago, probably. Oh, shit. Did you actually, yeah. like, keep up with it? Yeah, I was I was mainlining it, dude. I was watching the, the whole card. I was watching the prelim fights and everything. And Wow. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I actually really like to watch MMA. It's I, I learned that I enjoyed it because I never expected to uh, when a friend asked me to meet them at a bar where MMA was playing and I happened to catch uh, an Anderson Silva fight. He's a very showy fighter. Right. Uh, he's also like one of the best fighters of all time. Is is he one of the fighters that will come into the ring and do like a backflip out of nowhere? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And he's like six foot five, very lanky dude. And uh, he was like at the top of his game. And this guy, uh, Rock, I think his name was Rockholm, um, came in and was not having any of Anderson's bullshit. Anderson was like trying to catch in his fist and like shaking his head, like, no, I can see you coming, man. I can see you coming. And then uh, Rockholm just fucking like hit him with one solid punch and knocked him the fuck out. Oh, man. Isn't that the best when that happens? Yeah. And the best part, the thing that got me was Anderson stood up and was like, yeah, dude, like you kicked my ass. You knocked me out. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen like, a couple instances of that recently. I feel like more and more often, maybe, I don't know. I feel like being showy in the ring is, is kind of a, a recent thing, right? Like with the guys like McGregor who kind of come into the ring yeah. and throw their hands up and do I little dances and stuff. It's not super re- recent, but like um, there has been like, I think I think there's been more people doing it recently right. than before. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, my dad uh, would take me and my brother to Blockbuster and we'd rent the old, what was it, what did it used to be called? Like the world, I can't uh, remember I the name was... of like the first iteration of, of uh, professional MMA. Yeah, it was, it was, it was just no holes barred insanity. Oh no, there were no rules. <laughs> it was, it was, so it was like a, it was like a hardcore match in wrestling, except they actually were really beating the shit out of each other yeah like you can pull hair like you can punch nuts there were no fucking rules in the first one a guy gets knocked down and the guy who knocked him down kicks him in the face and knocks his (laughs) teeth you can see his teeth fly out of his mouth holy shit (laughs) yeah dude the that's the really crazy stuff just go back and watch like the early 90s mma Mm -hmm. before there were rules and regulations and organization 
it's completely yeah, it's completely out of control yeah. and it was a uh, it was hosted by this guy ah, they he was he was just the most dry host he would say like uh next up is anderson silva silva and he would repeat the last yeah. name just like that <laughs> and they kept and like this is after having seen modern MMA where it's where they've got Bruce Buffer on the mic and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, like super. Oh, yeah. Super he, impressive and the, and showy. Yeah. The way that Bruce Buffer puts the emphasis when he says fighting is yeah. so intense, dude. It actually is he, a little bit unnerving. Yeah, he's 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 feeling it. And this this guy, his last name started with G and they and for like successive uh, UFC events they would rebrand him <laughs> so oh, no. they gave him a new name in, and shit yeah no the last one they gave him was the g-man oh my god <laughs> he's the most personalityless milquetoast dude you've ever seen that's so funny watch old ufc it's fucking rad hell yeah i need to find like i'm sure they have big compilations somewhere right oh i'm sure that they do yeah I, I prefer that to to modern mma although i i think that everyone has an interest in mma somewhere like inside you know like it's something there's something primal about it beyond just oh, boxing sure. or wrestling there's something about mma that that's very like lizard brain primal you know it, it just <laughs> i have that reaction to it i think i yeah i feel that everybody likes to watch a fight i don't think anybody will like will deny that um i think boxing is is too restricted to to make immediate sense and it's also very point-based in a way that um benefits conservative fighters uh like floyd merriweather who's like undefeated. <laughs> merriweather that's his name right no it's mayweather oh, merriweather he's a fucking ship's captain <laughs> yeah floyd merriweather floyd floyd mayweather um Fuck him! I'll I'll call him whatever name I want. He's a fucking piece. Oh, of Oh yeah, shit. no, undoubtedly a piece of shit. And he's the one of the most boring fucking fighters ever, dude. He just well, he that's just... what I'm getting at is yeah. that he wins by points, and yeah. the the scoring system in boxing is is fucking boring. But the yeah. scoring system in UFC is is pretty tight. Yeah, for sure. Have and have you ever seen like a, a fight in real life recently? Have you seen people like really scrap it out? Like um, in real life? No, not in person. No, really. Yeah, what about you? Uh, you know, not it's not often, but I have seen a few in my life, and I've seen some of my friends get into fist fights, like altercations, like drunken altercations in in the middle of the road. Those uh, are rough at, at night, and it, it's it's intense, dude. Like, and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> Very different feeling from watching it on TV and MMA than seeing like, you know, it right right up close and personal. Yeah, the the thing about uh, fighting is that you can fucking die. <laughs> yes, dude. People forget that most of the time. All it they takes do. is one solid punch to to your jaw, and then you fucking black out and fall backwards, and that's it. Game over. Back of this the head is... on the concrete. So, like, I've never been in a real fight before, uh, like a full on fight, and uh, this is this is extremely dumb and egocentric of me or egotistical of me to, to think but i'm afraid of getting in a fight because i explicitly do not want to kill somebody oh fuck. Uh, <laughs> because of how easy it is um uh, but also like who the fuck am i to think that i'm actually going to land a punch i, I don't yeah. know no i know i get that though because i've had that same rationale it's like sure i because myself i've only 
really maybe kind of been in a fight, but it really wasn't a fight. It was kind of just me swinging my arms as a bully in middle school picked on me. Right. Uh, but yeah, I've had that thought too. Cause I've seen, I've been there when my friends have gotten in fights with other people and there's always that thought like, should I jump in here? What if I knock someone over on accident, like a fucking bowling pin and they hit their head on the corner of a table or something and that's it, like incarcerated. Oh, for sure, man. So like, I've had that thought for sure. Stephen King, all those like uh, like movies like Super Dark Times and stuff where people people die completely on accident. Yeah, and it turns you. Shit. Yeah. And uh, that Super Dark Times movie is a great movie. But really fuck, good movie. If Yeah, you accidentally kill someone one time and that's it. You're a psychopath. You, know, it, you never It turns know, on man. you. It unlocks something. Um, so I've been asking you this every episode. I'm going to ask you again, uh, what what game are you playing? Are you still playing Dark Souls 3? I am, yeah, I am still playing Dark Souls 3. I'm still trying to make my way through that. Um, it's it's a very hard game. Mm-hmm. Uh, my build was bad, um, so I was trying to collect dark, uh, Pale Tongues, which are uh, an item uh, for a specific covenant, Rosario's Fingers, that uh, you can give to her to respec. Um I was a Dex Magic build, and I I wasn't fucking hurting anybody, so I was going to go Dex Faith instead. So anyway, you only get pale pale tongues by um, killing other players by being summoned uh, or invading. And um, I'm not good at PvP. My my build is bad for PvP, and I'm just not good at it either. Have you have you ever been good at the uh, at the Souls games PvP? Because I know I, you I played was, other games too, and that yeah, I was pretty good in PvP in uh, Dark Souls two, mm-hmm. but the first one I I basically didn't engage with it. Right. Um, but yeah, this this time around, real bad. Ex- well, not bad experience, but I was I was doing very poorly, and uh, so I was invading and getting summoned into a lot of losing battles, um, and I was only going to do it until I got my five pale tongues, so I kept fucking doing it. And I got summoned into uh, a scenario that I'd never encountered before where um, I ran to the area. It's this clearing behind uh, Pontiff Solvain or something like that. He's a... The Pontiff boss fight. Yeah, the Pontiff boss fight. And uh, there's like a clearing arena where everybody lays down their, their summon signs. And um, I was fighting one-on-one for a while, for you know most of those until I got summoned into this one person's game. I went over to that area and that summoner was standing with three other dark spirits and they were all just gesturing at each other. I was like, are we all going to like f- fight him? Or yeah. like, I don't know what's going on. And then um, two of the dark spirits ran down into the arena and battered each other. And then the other dark spirit and the summoner did the sit down on the ground gesture to like watch. And the two dark spirits started duking it out. And uh, one of them won. And then the other dark spirit went down and fought the winner. And I was like, oh, we're in like a tournament. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and um, so it was my turn to go down. And I go down, I bow, and I start wailing on this dude with my poison daggers. And I'm not, I'm, I'm getting my ass beat. <laughs> and uh, I, I back off to heal. And he puts his weapons away and does a pointing at the ground gesture, like look down oh, there. Oh, yeah. He and then the up. other, yeah, the other onlookers, because more had been summoned since then, all pointed at the ground, and I was like, "Oh, okay. no Estes, bro." Yeah, no Estes. No. Okay, so they taught me etiquette, and uh, so I lost. And then I kept 
planting my summon sign down and getting pulled back into tournaments. And I learned the etiquette from from the gestures and it was pretty tight. Like I'd never encountered that before. And it's all just like player organized. Yeah, that's really rad. Well, one thing I know from the Souls community is that one, it's very active and remains active for long after a game has been released. Like there's even a thriving Dark Souls 2 community still. And the Souls 3 community is just, you know, as alive as it was a year after that game came out. And that's been out a couple years now, I think. Yeah, um, Yeah, and, and they that that community is is really cool and i, I think that um most people in that community are generally good acting in good faith most of the time and obviously there are some people who the most fun that they get out of those games is fucking with people and griefing right. people that right. exists for sure but most of the time and especially in a game like like the souls games where you have the ability to call on others to help you it seems most of the time when you run into other players, whether you're summoned or whatever, um, there's a, a level of respect and honor there that's like deeper than just like the player-player interaction. It's like you feel like the honor of the character that you're playing in this like busted-ass medieval world where there's no honor left besides the one that you carry on your own. Yeah, man, you gotta you gotta represent, right? That's what we're talking about. Oh yeah, representation. Representation. Mm-hmm. You so, gotta represent your guild. I was uh, I was observing a duel in, in the tournament line, and uh, one of the other Dark Souls or Dark, not, I guess Dark Souls, one of the other Dark Spirits, um, unequipped his weapons and went up to another observer and backstabbed him Oof. and knocked him off the cliff. Yeah, and that person had to heal, and uh, we were all very upset about that. We all pointed down at him, and he he ran into a corner. And did the full prostration where you lay fully on the ground with your face on there on the ground, mm-hmm. and we all stood around him, pointing down at him, shame, shaming him. Yeah, absolute shame. If we had mics, that's what we'd be shouting. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he fucking did it again, and the uh, <laughs> the summoner stood on the steps, and we chased him across this long, like uh, opening to a clock tower, and fucking killed them and the summoner was all clapping and stuff (laughs) (laughs) we were doing it yeah that's hilarious it was pretty tight and we all went back to fighting oh man i envy you i envy you that you are only investing your free time in one game right now because i'm i'm in a turmoil i'm in i'm in a tailspin there's just like taking all my power not to play another game i know well dude there's just been so much stuff that's come out in the past couple months and I've just been balancing my time. And it's also like working on the YouTube channel and, and producing content for that, like requires me to play different games. Totally. Um, but I'm, I, the only thing that I, like I was consistent with for a good while was God of War. Right. Um, but then, Did you beat that? no, I, I haven't. I think I, I'm like halfway through or a little more than halfway through the game and I enjoyed it thoroughly so far. It's, it's a really fantastic uh, single player experience. Um, and I, I will finish that. That's like my goal, like back of my head right now, but I keep just getting pulled in other directions. Like got back into binding of Isaac for a week and played that at when I ever, I had some spare time, uh, cause I have it on switch now. Right. I, I like almost perfected it on Xbox one where I, I did, uh, every possible like run scenario with every single character mm-hmm. and I was really 
proud of that. But now it's yeah. like a clean slate and the Switch version, so I'm like back to square one. Oh, um, but I wasn't interested in playing that game for a long time, but now I'm like phew, back in it. Uh, Nino Kuni 2, trying to finish that. But yeah, man, like I'm just like, and then E3 is coming up, and that's gonna I'm gonna have to produce a lot of content around that. So it's a lot going on, man. Yeah, a lot going on. Um, so speaking of E3 2018, which is only a few weeks away from from today, but yeah. um, we we started to see some of the effects of that Walmart leak. Right. Um, you know, when when we when that leak was shown, when that Twitter user, I don't know if that it was just that one guy that found it, this Walmart Canada leak that um, showed all of the E3 games that were going to be available for pre-order. Right. Um, I, I guess it was just him who found it, tweeted it, and it blew up, went viral everywhere. Uh, no, I don't believe that. Wario six wasn't it Wario sixty four? Right? Yeah, that was his Twitter handle. Yeah, he's a he's a he kind of popularizes known information. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. I, I I didn't know anything, and I still don't really know anything about that Twitter account. So okay. that's just where I saw it. And I, every every article I read about the leak used that as the source. So I assumed that that's where it started. He he is himself a source. Okay. Um, yeah, that's about it. Got it. Um, so yeah, after that that leak came out a bunch of developers who had games that were leaked uh, there um, made small little announcements or, or, or ways to confirmations confirmations and also misdirections like um, there was a few examples of that but Bethesda uh, they immediately after that leak started tweeting like in cheeky ways about rage too right like they didn't come out right away and say it but uh they they made some cheeky remarks about walmart kind of fucking up um and then sure enough this this week we did get the official announcement with a cinematic trailer for rage 2 and mm-hmm. then a gameplay trailer shortly thereafter uh for the game also um did you did you play rage no, I didn't play Rage. Okay. Looked cool, but just never played it. Did you was it just like not interested at the time? I think it came out in 2011 or 2010. I know it came whatever year Skyrim came out cuz it came out a few months before Skyrim. I was on a budget and I heard that it had bad car com- combat and yeah. that was bad car combat really fucking sucks. So I was oh, like absolutely. I'm just not going to bother. Yeah. Shooting looked cool though. Yeah, and like the interest level just from knowing that it's a game primarily developed by id and then produced by bethesda uh, that enough for me is like interest you know i'm in because i like the first one the first one was right okay it was developed by id yes and produced by bethesda i know it's produced by bethesda too okay Mm um and uh they you know it's interesting because that game got kind of got like mixed to positive reviews but Mm -hmm. it it was kind of like i don't know people just seem to pass it over yeah and that's that's really odd to me because i you would think that a game like that especially with bethesda getting ready to launch skyrim that there would have been more fanfare for it It, there would have been more of a buzz but it seemed to just crash in a lot of ways well if i recall correctly 
um, id was using not using rage, but they were positioning rage as a uh, vehicle uh, by which to demonstrate their new engine, id tech five, and uh, it had uh, like mega textures. I think was the phrase, and they had a lot of promo uh, imagery that was all captured in game that um, looked wildly impressive. Um, but the problem for a lot of reviewers and players alike probably was that um, it was not as expansive as it as they made it sound. That right. the driving corridors were very boring, mm-hmm. and were where you spent most of your geographic time. Uh, yeah, I can agree with those. Uh, I did pick it up uh, probably a year or so after it was released on the Xbox 360. Um, is okay. where I played it and. That was one of the first things I noticed is that it it is it you do feel very confined, mm-hmm. and corridors is a good word for it because you do kind of exist in this valley between these two. Um, uh, it's almost like a canyon, actually, more more than a valley, okay. uh, and so you travel from point A to point B in a linear fashion. It doesn't feel as open world as is it kind of was made out to be. And you get from point A to point B using these vehicles, which are not that fun to drive. Right. Uh, they feel stiff. I actually just played it again recently because it's on Steam for 10 bucks, and I wanted to remember what it was really like. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Like, one of the first vehicles you get is this ATV, and the physics when you crash are just completely, like, bonkers uh, like you ragdoll off the atv and fly through the air like a combination of fucking burnout and skate two it's like without the x-ray you would think it's fucking skate two right with the hollow meat right, and your, right. your character starts just screaming like i it, it sounds like the wilhelm <laughs> scream dude it's so weird and it's so out of place it's it's really funny the first time it happens but every subsequent time after you're immediately over it it's super annoying after the first time that sucks. Did did you ever play a uh, flat out? Any of the flat out series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, the one where you purposely ejected your your driver from the car, right? Yeah, in like these mini games, basically. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was I did like play that. that. Sorta. Yeah. I mean, you don't it's have control over point. your character. You don't have right. directive control over your ragdolling character. You just have to witness it. You just witness it, right? It, <laughs> it's stupid. it's. It is stupid, and it it feels a little, you know, out of place. Um, so how do you feel that the tone of that one compares to the tone of these trailers? Right. So, so in the first Rage, um, it's pretty drab, like environment-wise, very dusty, mm-hmm. very dry-looking, very brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of grays and browns, and then the red, of course, when you explode your enemies. Yeah. Um, but what we've seen so far in these new Rage 2 trailers is a lot of color. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is much needed in this, in post-apocalyptic games right now. <laughs> like, what we've yeah. seen recently with most post-apocalyptic games is a lot of reds, a lot of grays, and a lot of browns. Very, mm-hmm. very dull color schemes. Yeah, that's a, that's a long st- stood-by palette for post-apocalypse. Uh, I think the last product that i recall seeing taking place in a post-apocalyptic setting and being lauded for its color palette was um uh that game odyssey 
I think it was called. Oh yeah, Journey to the West. Odyssey yeah. Journey. It was that was the game. Yeah, that 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 is a, a post-apocalyptic game that's based on that ancient Chinese proverb of the monkey king traveling for some reason. I can't right. remember why, but um that is a pretty colorful game and in a very post-apocalyptic world. Totally. So like um the the trailers use these sh these shocks of pink and yellow, right? These very like neon colors mm -hmm. against the and then they show the gameplay footage and it doesn't really employ those no. colors. It looks, you know, kind of like the first game mm -hmm. in terms of its color scheme. But uh, do you think, does, what do you think the purpose of that is? Do you think that we're going to see those colors or? I honestly colors? would hope so, right? So like the games that I've spent the most time in that are post-apocalyptic are the Fallout series. Uh, mm -hmm. In each of those games, I've put hundreds and hundreds of hours Right. And they've always been dull, right? Not very colorful. Fallout 4 mm -hmm. had shades of it. You you would mm -hmm. go into one area and it may be a little bit more lush, but for the most part, pretty dull. Yeah. So I would hope that we do get to brighten things up, sort of like how Borderlands is at times, but Borderlands also, you, you spend a lot of time in these desert-like areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all cell shaded too, which for me, I don't know if you ha get this also, but cell shaded graphics and games often look a little bit duller to me. Do you do you see that at all? They can, especially in a setting where something is like made of slate yeah. or like a smooth material. I mm -hmm. mean, cell shading willfully removes detail from from texture mm -hmm. for the effect to work, and it just so happens that this texture is like a sheet of ice or right. like this is all this is a, just a desert plain <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i think the general tone that we've seen from these rage trailers is that uh they're they're you know honestly and i, I gotta make a comparison it reminded me a lot of of the marketing um for sunset overdrive mm -hmm. when that came out and i think xbox has done this a lot where they have tried to kind of nintendo-fy things Mm -hmm. where they add a bunch of color and play some loud, funky music. In this case, it's like, what, Andrew WK? Yeah. Right? And then they throw bursts of color in to say, like, hey, this is fun. It's a little edgy. It's colorful, though. Um, look how much fun we're having. Everything's a party. Uh, how crazy is that? It's the post-apocalyptic world. Everything's fucked, but it's a big party. Everyone's having a good time. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of like how I felt about sunset overdrive when i saw the marketing for that is like the world's completely fucked there's monsters everywhere they're killing everyone but look how colorful it is and look you can do grinds on the power lines yeah. um, and that's kind of like the vibe i was getting from the the rage cinematic trailer which mm -hmm. it's the two minute trailer of these really like buff mohawked out like pink mohawked masculine guys and then i think uh, i think there are women in it too who also yeah. look very like grungy and punk rock who, totally. who are like yelling and shooting big guns and the guns like spray out this like gr like super colorful neon powder everywhere flipping you off flipping you off and it's all it's all a big party right yeah yeah so that's kind of like the tone i was getting and and sunset overdrive did not turn out the way i thought it would and was a big disappointment for me but very mm -hmm. different game made by different people yeah uh, so w what were you getting from this trailer the cinematic trailer and the gameplay trailer um i was getting like they were taking 
the they were conscious of their uh of their origin and of their influence in the like muddy browns and uh dirty like uh industrial aesthetic and then hitting it with a lot more punk and attitude quote unquote Mm -hmm. and then also some vibrant color and really like glossy rock music to give it a positive vibe right um that really like belies what's actually going on like it's just a bunch of fucking rampaging anarchic like uh, mercenaries killing each other right um and it kind of reminded me of like the this the (laughs) were you in the you were in the music scene when you were a teenager right yeah i was in a punk band yeah okay yeah so like there was uh, there was punk and then there was hardcore and then uh around the early 2000s there was like the screamo revival yes like pop popifying screamo revival mm-hmm. and uh that's like really uh, like uh angry uh hardcore influenced music but they're always hitting it with like n- pink belt buckles mm-hmm. and studs <laughs> and yeah bright pink pants just these hits of of like uh very simplistic visions of like um friendly femininity i guess Mm -hmm. uh and none of it really applied to the content in any really real way it was just kind of like a accent yeah totally that meant nothing and i feel like that's the way that the trailer is portraying itself especially with the gameplay footage like the gameplay footage doesn't doesn't um jive with the with the tone that they're trying to set at all no looks great don't get me wrong like the game looks rad but yeah like, it looks Andrew super wk rad. uh let like it's time to party neon pinks they don't they don't mix with what we've shown in the game at all yeah it seems like that cinematic trailer could have been for a game like borderlands which has gameplay that's very like humorous and wacky and like a party most of the time with these like right. guns that shoot crazy shit um and i i think that rage will have elements of that at least, you know, in Rage 2 it will. Um, but how far they stretch that, I'm not sure. I mean, from the gameplay trailer, you just, you know, as you said, uh, what we've seen looks like a fucking high, you know, like a Twitch shooter, Doom on a little bit of acid. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm super interested, and in, uh, I'll be at E3, and I definitely want to see if they have anything set up for it. I'm sure that they'll show more during the Bethesda press conference. It seems to be like the main thing that they're showcasing. Um, And maybe they'll have hands-on demos that I can try there and I can report back. Send me some AR pictures of you (laughs) and like shoulder pads and shit. Dude, hell yeah. Um, But yeah, this uh, with the Rage 2 trailer and and the news that that game's going to be coming out potentially this year, probably this year, Mm-hmm. Um, in time for the holidays, started to think about post-apocalyptic stuff in general and like how I feel about it right now and and, and my history with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to ask you also some questions about that and where you stand hey, currently. Um, well, so when when did you start playing video games? How old were you? Did, was, was Super Nintendo your first system? Was it Sega Genesis? First, the first game memory i have is playing um, mega man on nes okay on the wood panel tv in our living room dude that's a great memory yeah 
I love that. Making making that RF cable stick. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? I I think the first game I remember playing was um, this really early GI Joe game on the NES. Uh, my dad had an NES, and that was the first time he put a controller in my hand to play something. Was this like r- weird GI Joe game? Uh, that and that it's like a very like broken memory like it comes in bits and pieces like a radio wave yeah you know um the reason i I bring that up is because before me and you both ever played a video game in our lives Mm -hmm. um in 1988 this is the first recorded post-apocalyptic video game i mean the post-apocalyptic fiction has existed forever since the beginning of time since at least 1986 (laughs) yes um (laughs) But in 1988, a game came out called Wasteland, right? Okay. Have you ever heard of Wasteland? I've heard of Wasteland 2. Which is a recent game. That game came out a few years ago. Yeah. Right. Um, but I was reading about Wasteland because I wanted to figure out what was the first post-apocalyptic video game or the one that took place in a you know that type of setting. Mm-hmm. I was reading about Wasteland. It was uh, based on tabletop games. It had like an open-world role-playing element. It was developed for Apple II. Oh, wow. That's how old this shit is. It was ported to Commodore 64. You can play it on Steam now if you're interested. I might look into that. Yeah. Um, America, destroyed by nuclear holocaust. No Good way. setup for <laughs> right? original. Um, it was actually one of the first games to feature a persistent world, right? So, like, you would mm-hmm. do something in a certain area. You would come back. Your changes would remain. Oh, yeah. Game director, Brian Fargo. Do, do you know him? Yeah, of the movie Fargo. Yeah, of the movie Fargo, based on his life. Coen Brothers knew him well. Right. Uh, he actually went on to produce one of my favorite games from my childhood, Clay Fighter. Fantastic Fuck game. It. Did you play any of the Clay Fighter games? Yeah, I played Clay Fighter 63 and a third. I played Clay Fighter on Genesis, I think. Yeah, I think it came out for a lot of stuff. Yeah. I definitely Pieces played... Pieces shit. <laughs> yeah, dude, they were not good. <laughs> but seeing a game that was made out of clay... Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. It had hey, that like, as... Mortal Kombat animation to it, right? So it was like almost yeah. FMV, but... I don't know, but it was claymation, so it's fucking weird looking. Did any of them fart? One of them absolutely farted. Oh, there was right? a, there was a character whose sole like attack was a fart in a burp. Brilliant, perfect, perfect. Yeah, my kind of game, man. <laughs> um, so that was like the first post-apocalyptic game that Clay that I Fighter? was able to find. Clay Fighter, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, do you remember I... the first one that you ever played? First. Like your inner, well, actually, I'll say this. What was your introduction to that to that genre? Was it a movie? Was it a book? Was it a game? Do you remember it the was first? Probably, it was probably a movie. Yeah, uh, I would think. The post-apocalyptic setting in general isn't isn't like my favorite, I, so it doesn't really stick out in my mind. But the one uh, post-apocalyptic uh, thing that I spent the most time with was Stalker, and that's one of my like the seminal PC gaming experiences for me, probably. Is playing Stalker. You need to tell me a little bit about Stalker right now because I am uninitiated. I don't know it's much so about that. It's so fucking tight, dude. It's uh, 
it's a game in which the it's like a post-apocalyptic it's a post-apocalyptic setting in that you are in the area around chernobyl and uh, there's been some weird magical goings on in the chernobyl area like some cult shit is referred like to as magic. the zone no just like unexplainable shit phenomena okay and um it produces the phenomena it produces these objects called artifacts that have these weird properties to them mm-hmm. and uh, you are a stalker who like other stalkers basically a mercenary enter the zone with the intent of retrieving artifacts and selling them um specifically there's an area in the zone i forget the name of it that is like there's a myth around it that if you access this area it'll grant you one wish um and so while stalkers are often selling artifacts many of them are really trying to pursue the center of the zone where this this area this thing will grant you one wish and you know everybody dies or gets lost trying to find it um so stalker starts with you on the outskirts of the zone the actual area around chernobyl um still irradiated still still uninhabited right and uh you're unwelcome uh everybody sees you as you know a challenge to them because they are doing the same thing you're doing and uh, you're going towards the center of the zone where you intend to grant yourself a damn wish and uh it's again it's uninhabited so there's lots of empty buildings lots of rural areas um, but these things are happening called uh, anomalies that are spatial problems uh, like gravity balls or like something is just constantly blasting in this area it's just electrocuting you if you enter it oh shit and there's also like irradiated monsters creeping about Right. And do do you go at your own pace or do you, is it linear? It's, it's relatively linear, but it is an open world. Um, it's like, um, it's not a complete, it's not a completely open world like GTA, but it's, it's a couple of segments of open worlds that that you progress through. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're very large. Um, and you, there is a story that you're following that directs you in a specific direction. And there are a couple of places where it can it can branch a little bit, uh, especially at the end. But ultimately, like the thing that makes Stalker so rad is that the other Stalkers are also like totally unpredictable. They'll generally try to kill you, and when you die or when other Stalkers die, they don't. The AI doesn't just shut down. Like they'll start grabbing shit off your body. Are off of the other bodies so they and, are npcs the other stalkers it's not some like journey shit where it turns out they're actually the other other players it's like an online. no they're npcs oh, okay. um, but they have but they have their own goals too which is which was unusual and it's still unusual in games like this so most... are they doing their own thing well like while you're on your own mission they're they like they they exist in and are doing their goals elsewhere and you can like perhaps follow them and watch them do that or is that okay so stalker was presented initially as the other stalkers could beat the game before you so you have to like be on your toes and 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 expect the ai to try to do the shit you're doing the game after as it was published the AI isn't actually going to beat the game. It's not, it, that was too ambitious, mm-hmm. but it does have some of those elements in, in place. Still, the AI is still looting and it's still 
wandering around the environment with basic goals in mind. Um, so like if you see a building and there's an AI around a stalker, um, it's possible that if you turn your back, that AI is going to go into that building and grab the rifle that you might've found there. And then if you kill that stalker, you'll get it from him, you know? Um, so you just, yeah, you just felt like you were in over your head all the fucking time. And the monsters in that game were, were really vicious. Um, yeah. Can I ask you what year this came out? Do you remember? I think 99 shit uh, because you know what i'm actually having a, a sort of flash right now i used to go to cyber cafes um mm-hmm. in the early 2000s to play counter-strike and battlefield i was way off it was 2007 oh okay so never mind because there was this game that came out around that time it had been already been out i was at the always at the cyber cafes playing mostly battlefield 1942 mm-hmm. and uh I, some of the other people in the in that cyber cafe would play this game that i thought took place in like a chernobyl uh scenario but it was Mm -hmm. mostly like a a a team-based um a team-based combat game like multiplayer shooter you know fps shooter and i think you had the option to play as a monster or something or like turn into some sort of creature is that ring any bells do you know what i'm talking about this was around 1942 uh, yeah and yeah around then no i think it was, it was a like big a deal or something mm. oh was it natural selection that, that could have been it what was uh, that? that was that was a game in which i think humans fought aliens and oh. if you were on the alien team you chose a class and the class was you know different kinds of monsters yeah maybe maybe that was it Okay. I don't know. Um, I just had a flash of that for some reason as you were describing Stalker. Weird yeah, I don't that know. that brings up. Um, okay, so, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I I, I kind of want to play that now. It sounds fucking rad. It holds up, for sure. Does it really? Have they yeah. made sequels to it? Yeah, they made two. There is a, and they just announced a, a proper Stalker 2 today. Um, but they made two sequels. There is Clear Sky, which was the third one and uh call of pripyat no clear sky was the second one call of pripyat is the third one mm-hmm. and call of pripyat is extremely good also Oof. yeah i would say uh i think i've spent the most time in a post-apocalyptic game uh in the fallout series for sure i don't doubt that um i played a lot of fallout 3 a lot of new vegas and sadly a lot of fallout 4 yeah and probably too much time actually but the good thing is is i have no interest in ever going to back and playing fallout 4 even with the mod support on console yeah um but i i think that my favorite piece of of post-apoc core is uh, uh akira for sure i do I've never actually talked to you about that movie, really. And you know what? I can't go into too much because it's my favorite fucking movie, and I could talk about that till the cows come home. Right. But um, you've seen it, of course. Yes. Do you enjoy that movie? I mean, it's it's very good. Uh, it's a very unpleasant movie. Yeah. It, it when I've shown it to people in my family or friends who haven't seen it or heard of it especially if they don't really watch anime or or, or things from japan um 
usually aren't ready for what they're about to see and then usually walk away uh, feeling unpleasant. Um, so tell me if I'm wrong or if this is just how the movie affected me, but I feel like in the climax of the movie, um, this, there's really like no presence of a soundtrack. Is that right? At, at the end? It, like when everybody, I guess, can we just talk about Akira? Yeah, spoilers, go. Like when he st- when like he starts fucking falling apart and transforming. Yes. There's a lot of like screaming and gore sounds, but yeah. there's no real soundtrack, right? Right, right. So the well, I will say the Akira soundtrack is my favorite film score ever. It's so fucking good. Yeah. But you're right. It, there is a extended part at the end of the movie where uh, Tetsuo um, mm-hmm. is breaking down the power that he has in his body is too much and mm-hmm. it, it is causing his body to to morph into this hideous mass of flesh and and rot and it's like really horrendous they actually yeah. fucking parodied it really early on in south park um yes. where cartman turns into it yes i think it was that, like the even the key. first season Maybe first no. or second season. It was really it was, early on, dude. It was quite early, but yeah, yeah it was. The, I think it was the Trapper Keeper episode. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but yeah, there is no soundtrack, and it's it's mostly him screaming and yelling as he is unwillfully uh, killing everyone around him and his girlfriend. Like gets trapped right. in his like deforming body and crushes her. Yeah, it's really, really intense and violent and gross, and there's no soundtrack. Yeah, and I bring that up because that is extraordinarily effective, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's not typical of Western media to um, be so in your face with its audio without using a soundtrack. Yeah, uh, or music cues, and yeah, that has always stuck with me. Oh, for sure. I could I could totally see that. And I actually got a chance to go see Akira in a theater and uh, watching Akira. It wasn't the best of experiences, mostly due to the type of theater it was in. But Mm -hmm. the sound quality was really good. And that part was fucking wacky. Hearing it that loud, like piss loud in a theater. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. And it was really late at night. It was like two thirty in the morning. So it was extra. It was like when your mind and body start to break down anyway because you're not sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was extra effective. Dang. But um, the uh, the creator of Akira Otomo, as he goes Mm by, um, it's interesting. I I watched a interview with him because I I want to read and know everything about the production of that movie because it's it's mm-hmm. my favorite and uh he was talking about why he wanted to make this movie and he attributes a lot of the emotion behind the movie and the feelings is like a very punk rock emotion right mm-hmm. so uh, he wanted to portray uh japanese youth and in, in characters that lived like this very punk rock lifestyle and the, like the outcasts and and, and marginal society and I think that kind of fits in in general with what we were talking about earlier about post-apocalyptic stuff where it somehow becomes this like punk rock lifestyle sort of. Yeah, I think I think post-apocalyptic uh, media and storytelling tends to portray um, a breakdown of society or at least versions and when I mean, countercultures 
you know, are, are in opposition to the status quo. So it, it's arguable that countercultures would prefer that there were that there was a breakdown in society so that they could rise. And a lot of post-apocalyptic storytelling explores the notion of what would rise in, in the shadow of a fallen civilization. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I can see why they so often fall to punk rock portrayals of the mercenaries or the bandits or whatever like uh tribally coded communities um typically that the uh protagonist is fighting um, yeah in yeah in portraying that society yeah exactly and and also how young people are are destined to somehow impulsively destroy themselves is another thing he's quoted as saying Mm -hmm. and that I think can also speak to society in general and the potential for society just to impulsively destroy itself over time if given the right circumstances like we are inevitably going to do. Yeah, totally. And and the another th- another theme of, of post-apocalyptic media is the exploration of um how we tend to fall for the same societal traps over and over again. Uh there's this notion that if society crumbles, we have the opportunity to build something better, but very often we don't build something better. We build the same thing or right. we build something worse in, in other cases. Like you can look to the walking dead for an exploration of every possible iteration of that story mm-hmm. every fucking tribe or group that, uh, the main character, what's it, whatever his fucking name, what it, every main, tri- every main group, the main group runs into is an iteration of how society could go wrong basically yeah for sure have you um grimes <laughs> grimes rick grimes grimes is dating uh, musk now rick grimes is dating elon musk that's right dude grusk yeah. grusk Cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> um have you have you read the stand king uh, yeah am i funny you ask i'm reading that right now oh I'm, shit uh, i'm on the last quarter of the book right now something you just said right now uh reminded me of a, a section from that book where it's in the beginning mm-hmm. uh and I, there's in the beginning of that book if i remember correctly it's been a while but there's like mm-hmm. a series of vignettes that shows what people were doing right before shit started to go down yeah and there's a part that focuses on a junkie mm-hmm. right who who's like trying to get one last fix in before mm-hmm. he he fucking pe- dies from the f- super flu is right. that something that goes down do you remember that i section? think so yeah i think so there's a, there are many there's like 80 pages of, of vignettes right they're all great yeah do, I mean, do you like the stand i do um i so the stand is like almost entirely predicated on this magical negro figure that is just so fucking bad really <laughs> so, yeah she's this uh, her name is Mother Abigail. That's she, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and she's imagined, she's dreamed of by everybody who survives the flu, and they also dream of Randall Flagg, who is the Man in Black, who is the same Man in Black from the um, Dark Tower, Dark Tower series. Uh, so he, so it's like good and evil, and um, Mother Abigail, like herself, is not such a terrible character, but King insists on writing her sections sections subtly in her voice 
and he has the most like classically class the most like classically <laughs> offensive vision of how old black people talk oh no <laughs> i just can't get over it it's so frustrating and uh i want i like want to skip her sections because of, of how he writes them like but mine ain't that nice and stuff like that oh dude he's kind of guilty of that and elsewhere too i've seen that in other <laughs> books and it's all like well intended but it's it's also what was it written like 1981 or something yeah yeah he's like not racist but these are some bad portrayals yeah <laughs> for sure um uh, otherwise i'm liking the book a lot and i'm actually at a part right now where they're trying to where there are discussions of rebuilding society right and, it, and it's funny because the society that they envision is no better than the one that existed so uh i'm thinking about this a lot lately mm -hmm. yeah it's just it seems to have come up a lot lately i'm not i wasn't playing any games or reading anything or watching anything that that was the main through line or that was the setting but it comes up pretty often i mean there's constantly being movies made in that setting uh, books it's it's just a constant and always will be i mean society just has this fucking hard on for what life is like after we fuck everything up <laughs> yeah man it's just generalized uh anyway like this this feeling of uh of wow this is the way it is and i can't do anything about it yeah unless totally. everything vanished um it's a it's a pretty fucking hefty subject i'm thinking about that now as we've have spoken now for almost an hour about it and barely scratched the surface yeah for um, sure. but i do want to ask you one last thing and then we'll end it there um what is your favorite post-apocalyptic setting i i mentioned mine was akira mm -hmm. i need to know yours yeah i was thinking about this um mine is probably the matrix um i'm not a huge fan of deserts and that kind of like dry bleakness but i feel like the the similar like technological portrayal of of uh, a world that is totally inhospitable to to people right um is is really cool and uh, beyond being cool it's just a really well told well made story and uh, it's arguably arguably a dystopia but um it's ultimately about uh, an inhospitable world in which humans grow and die in wet pods. So that's pretty post-apocalyptic. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I didn't used to think of it that way. And looking back on it now, it most assuredly is. Uh, but I never thought honestly, I didn't know what the fuck was going on in those movies when they came out and I first saw them in theaters. Right. I didn't have the ability to fucking like understand them now you know and i've gone back and rewatched them as an adult that's able to like put things together uh and it makes sense now uh mm -hmm. for the most part but when those movies came out the last thing i was thinking about was if it was post-apocalyptic i was like what even just fucking happened i have no <laughs> idea what is a simulation what isn't i just like the fight scenes oh for sure so all right post-apocalyptic core I'm ready. Rage 2. Let's get it over with. Trinity's my girlfriend. <laughs>